With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. 56% of job seekers say their biggest challenge is finding a job that matches their qualifications, according to an Express Employment Professionals Harris Poll survey. The job search can be a lonely process, but Express Employment Professionals can be your one connection to finding a job that fits. Each year, hundreds of thousands of people find work through their local Express office. Find the location near you at ExpressPros.com. With no fees for job seekers, visit ExpressPros.com. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Last night, I would say the biggest sporting event that was on uh, the calendar in terms of the gambling handle and probably in terms of the audience wasn't LeBron against uh, the Greek Freak. I think it was probably the Boca Raton Bowl, this crazily named, it didn't even sound real, People say, why do the bowl? Why does the bowl season exist? It's because people watch. Whether it's because you want to gamble, whether it's because you're just intrigued by finally having football on to watch, uh, with the bowl season off and running, it is a great event for those of us who are sitting around on a Tuesday thinking, man, there isn't a lot of things on. Even if it is, and this sounds like it's totally made up, the Cherry Bundy Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl last night. Lane Kiffin and FAU taking on the Akron Zips, and they nearly held the Zips to a nothing score, making the nick uh, nickname there make total sense. I'm telling you this right now. Lane Kiffin and Kendall Bryles. Kendall Bryles is the offensive coordinator for FAU. It's the best offensive coaching staff in college football right now. There's not anybody in college football right now on the offensive side of the ball that is doing more creative, more effective, more efficient, more blockbuster things on the offensive side of the ball than what Lane Kiffin is doing with FAU. They won 50-3 to last night to take the FAU record to 11-3. and And they're not just beating people. They're beating the crap out of people. Guys, listen to these margins since Lane Kiffin took over FAU. I'm going in reverse order. He won by 47 last night. It's always dangerous when I do live math. He won the Conference USA title game by 24. The game before that by 19. The game before that by 28. For 38, sorry. 25. And at one close game in the first weekend of uh, November, they won by only five. Prior to that, 14, 
20, 38, 30, 18, all the way back once they started the Conference USA season, they only had one close game all season long. They lost their first two games of the season. They lost to Navy and they lost to Wisconsin. After that, they basically put their floor to the, the, the pedal to the metal there, so to speak, and they have taken off such that, honestly, there were a lot of jobs that uh, that were open this offseason. Among them right now, the top jobs, I would say, that people had to go out and hire new coaches uh, in no particular order. UCLA, Texas A&M, Nebraska, Tennessee, Arkansas, Arizona State, Oregon, Florida State, Mississippi State, Florida, Ole Miss, Oregon State, and Central Florida all had to hire new coaches. There were a ton of top jobs available this past offseason. Other than UCLA, which hired Chip Kelly, other than Texas A&M, which hired Jimbo Fisher, and other than Nebraska, which hired Scott Frost, every other job hired somebody not as good as a coach as Lane Kiffin. That means if you are a fan of Tennessee, Arkansas, Arizona State, Oregon, Florida State, Mississippi State, Florida, Ole Miss, Oregon State, and Central Florida, all of those schools, all 10 of those schools, could have done better if they had simply hired Lane Kiffin and brought him in to be their next head coach. Now, I understand Lane Kiffin has got a lot of connection, uh, a lot of sort of reaction value to his name. That goes back to when he was 32 years old and he was named the head coach of the uh, Oakland Raiders. goes back to his one-year tenure at Tennessee and the fact that he got fired on the tarmac as the head coach of USC. But let's forget about his head coaching tenure at such young ages. Let's forget about him being the Oakland Raiders head coach, Tennessee, and USC's head coach. If you just looked at Lane Kiffin's resume over the last four years, here's what he's done. He went to Alabama, and in three years, he helped Alabama get into the playoff three straight years. And he did that with three first-year starting quarterbacks. Blake Sims, Jake Coker, and Jalen Hurts. Okay, Those guys had never taken a snap as a college quarterback. Lane Kiffin got all three of them into the college football playoff. Then he takes over a 3-9 and nine FAU team. And he immediately flips their schedule, their season, and he goes 11-3. and three. That's a remarkable turnaround. He just signed a 10-year contract extension. I should say 10-year in quotation marks because there's no way he's going to stay there for 10 years. In fact, I put the over-under on his tenure right now at a year and a half because I do think that so much of the talent returning for FAU next year makes it possible. Not saying it's going to happen, but it makes it possible that he potentially could go 11-1 and in the regular season. Maybe if they could pull off that upset, even 12-0. and Nobody in Conference USA is going to beat Lane Kiffin and Kendall Bryles on the offensive side of the ball. On uh, the schedule front, they open with a pretty tough open four weeks. The, the Conference USA schedule is, I don't think, even released yet. So we don't even know exactly what that will look like. But the first four games of their schedule is out. That's the out-of-conference before they start their Conference USA games. And let's be honest, it's pretty tough. Uh, but... This is a game that I want you to circle, and it's now you know nine months away. Their first game of the season is at Oklahoma. Guys, I want you to hear this from me right now. It's possible 
that FAU could beat Oklahoma next year to start the season. As good as Oklahoma is, and they're in the Rose Bowl playing Georgia for a chance to win the national championship and potentially advance to Atlanta to play in the conference title game, Baker Mayfield is graduating. Oklahoma will be breaking in a brand-new quarterback. I'm telling you right now, that opener against Oklahoma, FAU has a chance to go on the road in Norman and get a win there. Then they play Air Force. They'll win that game. They play Bethune-Cookman. I feel pretty good about that game. And then they play at UCF, which will be just an offensive explosion. At an absolute minimum, they're going to go 10-2 and in the regular season. It's possible they could pull off the upset over Oklahoma and over UCF, two road games. That's how good I think that Lane Kiffin is. I mean, just flat-out incredible job that he has done. And I know for a long time it was trendy to make fun of Lane Kiffin and to take shots at him. I don't think that's fair anymore. I think you have to look at what this guy has done in the last four years. And if his resume was only what he has done in the last four years, if prior to that he had been working his way up to become Nick Saban's top offensive assistant, if all of that had happened and we had never heard of Lane Kiffin at USC, we'd never heard of Lane Kiffin at Tennessee or the Oakland Raiders, Lane Kiffin had been the number one coaching candidate in America this past offseason. And I firmly believe that there are going to be a lot of programs that made head coaching hires. They're going to look around and the fan base as well, as well as the administration, and say, why didn't we just go hire Lane Kiffin? If I were at Central Florida, Oregon State, Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, FSU, Oregon, Arizona State, Arkansas, and Tennessee, you may have made good hires, but I guarantee you that you would have more swagger, you'd have more excitement right now, if you had made those hires, if you'd been one of those 10 schools, if you'd hired Lane Kiffin instead. I do think that if you're UCLA and you got Chip Kelly, if you're Texas A&M and you got Jimbo Fisher, or if you're Nebraska and you got Scott Frost, you should be very, very happy with your hires. Otherwise, I think every single school would have done better hiring Lane Kiffin. I think we've got a little bit of audio from Kiffin after the game. Here's what he had to say about his 11th win of the season. Yeah, so we safe. Won't be on any projectors, on overhead projectors anymore, maybe for a little bit. Or fire at Tarmax. Um, I think that really today, you guys took a while on that one. But I usually ask questions like after games, what do you feel about your future here? Do you feel like you're going to be safe for another week? And I remember those conversations. You started that direction. I was like, I had like a flashback. I'm like, God, we're actually safe. And then they are pretty good. This ain't about me. I feel great for our players, for our fans. You know, they haven't won in a long time, or 10 years since they've been to a bowl game. So to win 11 games and really, you know, 10-game winning streak, um, there's got to be, you know, this has got to be the hottest team in the country. They don't even play close games. We've only had one game within 14 points the last 10 weeks. We've only had one game the last uh, within 14 points the last 10 weeks. That's true. Lane Kiffin on an absolute fire uh, on absolute fire at FAU. Good jokes there, making fun of the fact that he got fired on the tarmac. Um, I think right now, if you asked USC fans, would you rather have Clay Helton or Lane Kiffin? I don't know how anybody would answer Clay Helton, frankly. Um, if you asked Tennessee fans, would you rather have Jeremy Pruitt or Lane Kiffin? I don't know how anybody would answer Jeremy Pruitt. If you asked Oakland Raider fans, would you rather have Lane Kiffin or Jack Del Rio? I don't know how anybody would answer Jack Del Rio. I think all three places that fired Lane Kiffin and or he left in bad circumstances would all rather have Lane Kiffin right now than the guy they have at the helm of their program. 
It's amazing the renaissance that he has brought about and just flat-out fun. That offense has been incredible to watch all season long. He is an X's and O's genius, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. And he's become a lot more comfortable in the public spotlight and seems to genuinely enjoy interacting on social media, taking his kids around to practice. Here's a crazy thought. He's just, Lane Kiffin is, a lot more mature as a 42-year-old head coach than he was as a 32-year-old head coach. And I think that makes a lot of sense to people out there who are listening to this show right now. I'm a better dad now at 38 than I was as a dad at 28. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that are dads that had young kids, and you're like, man, I'm a lot better dad at 45 than I was at 25 or 35. I think as you get older, you just get better at things. And I think Lane Kiffin right now is one of the best coaches in college football on the offensive side of the ball. Just absolutely phenomenal. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Adam Sandler, most talented comedian of our generation almost. If you just look, people are like rolling their eyes. If you just look at box office, I think Adam Sandler destroys every other comedian in terms of the movies that he's made and the money that's been produced. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Can you beat Adam Sandler in terms of movies that he's been in that have produced box office gold? Jason Martin, you watch every movie that's ever been made. In the last 20 years, can you name a comedian who's appeared in a movies that have produced more revenue than Adam Sandler? No, probably not that because surprises of the people. early run. Don't you think that surprises people kind of when they hear that? Because you think, I mean, he's got had a long and varied career, and there's obviously comedians that are more famous than him. And look, I mean, if you go back in time per capita, it's probably still Eddie Murphy, I would bet, as the most lucrative comedic actor of all time because some of the movies that he was in were just so insanely successful. Um but I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe number two would be uh, Seth uh, Seth Rogen, right? Like maybe, uh, maybe I would look at Bill Murray, possibly with what he did with the Ghostbusters franchise. But he's the Meatballs been in, franchise. He's been around maybe. for such a long period. But of he's time, been in but just, so many like small like kind of passion films that nobody watches. Really, yeah. I mean, speaking. he has, but just in terms of overall box office. But I mean, Sandler's stuff certainly deteriorated over the years in terms of the money that would be generated. But you look back to Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, and two that first classics. run of films. I mean, those those were yes, they were classics and they were. Absolutely huge films. Another guy you might want to include in there is Jim Carrey. Yeah. Jim Carrey oh, exploded yeah. with two Ace Ventura films and, of course, Dumb and Dumber and <clears throat> Liar, Liar. What's the uh, last really... Yeah. Justin Cooper. Yeah. What's the last really successful movie Jim Cooper has done? I mean, Jim Cooper. Jim, that uh, Jim Carrey <laughs> has done. Bruce Probably Almighty. Bruce Almighty and Man on the Moon. But that's like 10 moon. or 15 years ago, right? Another name might be uh, Mike Myers. The Austin Powers trilogy you know, made a ton you know of money as be, well. Who would be underrated that also would be under, like a lot of people I think are not thinking about Adam Sandler. The other guy that would be under the radar a little bit, because I don't think he's a household name, so to speak, Tyler Perry. Because Tyler Perry has made so many movies that have done insanely well at the box office that I think you're average. I I don't think that he's like crossed over into the mainstream in the same way. And I think that would would be a name that he was definitely a top five guy. One other name I would say is Robin Williams. Uh, obviously gone now, but you look at Mrs. Doubtfire and even Good By Morning By the way, could Vietnam you make Mrs. Doubtfire now? 
or would that be mm, considered really like so question. politically incorrect? The reason why I ask is I sat around and watched it on Thanksgiving, literally on Thanksgiving Day with my boys, my fourth grader and my first grader, and my three-year-old. You know how a three-year-old is. He kind of runs around. He's not watching it the whole time. But my boys really love that movie. And I'm wondering if you tried to make Mrs. Doubtfire now, would everybody come back and say, oh, my God, this is so insensitive. This is so, like uh, – this is like transgenderism. This is making fun of transgender people. Like, who would you have? Like, I don't know that you could make that movie now. I think it would be, a, and by the way, you should be able to make that movie. Like, there's no mean spirited elements to no, Mrs. Doubtfire, but I think it's just kind of a testament to where we are as a society. People get up in arms and want to get offended over everything. I don't know Mrs. Doubtfire gets greenlit right now. I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a very fair point. It's a sad point. But it's a very fair point because, I mean, that movie taught a really good message. It had nothing really to do with that. That was just the sight gags, and it gave Robin Williams a chance to really explode onto a different canvas and do something differently. But, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's very possible that people would get outraged over absolutely nothing, not even watch the thing, and not even recognize it for what it actually was. All right, quickly, I teased that we were going to talk about because I think the best game of the NFL weekend coming up, or maybe the most significant, is what's going to happen with Atlanta going to New Orleans. Who are you on with Atlanta-New Orleans? I think it's the biggest game of the weekend coming up in the NFL. I've got, I think, the Saints. It's hard for me to believe that they're not going to get the win. Are we unanimous on going with the Saints here, or is anybody willing to stand up and say, I've got uh, the Falcons? I just think both those teams are too good to think one's going to sweep the season series. And you look at what the Falcons were able to do in a really tight game with a couple of interesting calls late down the stretch. I do believe that the Saints will get it done at home. I agree what, with you. What about you two guys in L.A.? Are you on Saints or are you on Falcons? We're both saying yeah, Saints at the Saints same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that wasn't that exciting of an idea. No. I had to try to pick the best game. And all four of it how how cool is that, too, Clay, that uh, since 1975, the first duo of running backs on the same team to make the Pro Bowl. Yep, and deservedly yeah. so for both. I mean, Ingram and Kamara have been just fantastic this year. Only guy that can stop Alvin Kamara is uh, Butch Jones, and that's because he doesn't put him in the game and use him enough. But both of those guys have been fantastic. NFL Pro Bowl rosters came out. I'm not one of those guys who sits around and says, "Oh, let's talk about who got left out, who was uh, who was uh, who didn't deserve to go." Because most of them uh, are going to play anyway. Well, and also, frankly, the NFL Pro Bowl is a total waste, right? I mean, I just of all the All Star games, I watch the NBA All Star game. I watch certainly the Major League Baseball All Star game. I don't watch hockey, but nobody watches hockey. Um, but the uh, the Pro Bowl is just a joke. I mean, like, it's fine to be named to it, but nobody pays attention. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We've got a lot going on in today's show. A lot of you listen on the podcast, so I want to give you a little bit better of an idea. Uh, we are going here in hour two. Next segment, we'll be joined by Jeff Schwartz, as we are every single uh, Wednesday in hour two to break down all the NFL action that was, the NFL action still to come as we get ready for the 15th game of the NFL season. Uh, We will also, in Hour 3, talk to uh, my friend Barton Simmons. Barton works at 24-7 Sports, which is a part of CBS Sports. There is an early signing day going on now in college football. I think it's going to catch people somewhat by surprise. This is the first early signing day we have had ever Uh, Usually signing day in college football comes the first week, I believe, of February. And so this is a a departure. That signing day in February still exists, but many of the top football recruits in the country will be signing their names today 
to join other uh, illustrious programs out there. Last segment, we were talking about uh, college, uh, sorry, comedians who have done incredible box offices as a jumping off point after our holiday music was Adam Sandler with uh, with his Hanukkah song. And a uh, bunch of you blew me up on Twitter saying, how in the world can you forget Will Ferrell? I think Will Ferrell is probably number one in the last 15 years. I would be very surprised if in the last 15 years he hasn't produced the number one comedy box office of anybody. Um, there are obviously other guys that have done really successful movies, but to have the depth of Will Ferrell, I would think he would be up there as well. Not a stand-up comedian. Oh, that's an interesting thing. So what's the definition of comedian then? Tyler Perry's not a stand-up comedian either, True. is he? Or- I, thought, I thought you were talking about a stand-up comedian crossing over to films when... So did I, kind of, which is why up. I didn't include like an Owen Wilson or a Steve and a Steve Carell because he was more in it, more of an improv comic and folks like that. That's why I thought. I mean, Eddie Murphy was number one when we looked it up, uh, anyway, and then Robin Williams so, was two. So and they much were both of that, pure stand-ups. Yeah, so much of that is a function of them doing massive movies in the 1980s, though. And I feel like 1980s they made a lot less movies, and when you had a hit movie in the 1980s, it played for months on the movie theater. Like I remember being a kid and driving by my local movie theater. And for instance, you remember the last crusade with uh, with Indiana Jones, with Sean Connery and uh, yes. Harrison Ford? A lot of people obviously remember that movie. It played for the entire summer. Like it came out at Memorial Day and it was still playing at Labor Day. It literally didn't something? leave the theater. That was wild. Um, on my uh, Outkick the Culture podcast last week, I spent the whole hour on Home Alone, which is my favorite Christmas movie. I looked it up and it made $456 million dollars at the box office, which held a 27-year record just for one territory. It had made $286 million in North America, but I looked up how long it was in the theaters. So I remember going to it numerous times, and it was actually in theaters from November of 1990 until June of 1991. <laughs> oh it was God. in theaters for over 200 days Man. because of how much money it made and how many people continually went to see it. Well... And, and you know what? It used to be that like when a movie came out, you couldn't get in to see it. Now they've got the big box office numbers. Everything has to happen so immediately that when you go out, like Star Wars is out right now. When you go out to see Star Wars, I understand like the first several days it's hard to get into, but then they've got it on in so many different theaters and they've got it on so many different times during the day that you can get on. They basically it, they, they basically just give you so many options that it becomes... And honestly, it makes sense because it used to be frustrating to go try to go see a movie you want and you can't see it. But that's one reason those theaters would keep them playing for so long is because they'd only have it on in one or two theater theaters. Now you go in and like let's say there's 16 screens. I bet eight of them, lots of places, are showing Star Wars almost. And, and so you can get in. But that is wild to think about how long movies used to stay on. Like... I, that is unbelievable. It opened in November and stayed on until June. Yes, I mean that's incredible. I mean it was it was in theaters for eight months over two hundred days and was still ranked. It was for for twelve weekends in a row. It was number one at the box office. That is an that's incredible insane. movie, by the way. Home Alone. Yes, it it's one of those that and and we're going to talk probably a little bit about this. We're doing a Christmas show, so we will be on Christmas morning. We already sketched out. Jason Martin and I did. For those of you who are up having to go to work or those of you who are up driving around, maybe some of you will be uh, driving cross-country, getting ready to try to, you know, up early in the morning. We'll be doing a show, and we're going to do some discussion of Christmas movies and uh, and whatnot. And so I've already started to jot down, like, kind of pay attention. 
I think that Home Alone is a movie that comes on that it's impossible to not watch. I think the number one by far most impossible movie not to watch from a holiday season is A Christmas Story. Yeah. Right? I mean, like every time A Christmas Story comes on, if my kids have it on, if my wife is flipping around, if my parents are, you know, you're kind of around for the holidays. I don't remember the last time I saw that movie on and didn't sit down and watch at least 10 minutes of it. You'll shoot it your is eye phenomenal. Out, kid. Yeah. Everything, everything associated with that movie is is it's impossible to get up off the couch and not stop and watch a few minutes of it. And frankly, every part of that movie is good. So it doesn't, it, you know, a lot of movies you watch and you're like, oh, I'm going to watch for this part because this is my favorite. Like every moment of I, I, the Christmas story now is just so iconic that it's impossible to look away. I've never seen it. What? Whoa, Are you serious? God. Yep. Go home. <laughs> Why I, I don't even understand. Like you're a I'm child actor. Yeah. How is it possible that you haven't ever seen this movie? I don't know. I've just never seen it. I mean, it runs Have on constant it? repeat on TBS, right? Yeah, they used to run it. They used to run 24-hour marathons on both Thanksgiving and Christmas Day for a long time. I don't know that they're still doing that, but it, I just find it impossible that you couldn't have seen it. Like it was in your face constantly, especially if you were in the entertainment industry. I understand if you haven't seen it, if you're like one of those weird kids whose parents didn't let him have a television uh, or, you know, like, yeah, you didn't have cable or whatever, you know, like, but I don't understand if you're a normal person, normal human being, how you wouldn't have seen a Christmas story. Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, never, never came across it, I guess. Clay, you just asserted Justin was a normal person. (laughs) I mean, I, I mean, he's in movies, right? I mean, he's the star of Liar, Liar. The well, he was too busy reading movie. scripts. I mean, he's too busy reading scripts yeah. about talking uh, you guys miniature horses. might not know this, but he turned down the Macaulay Culkin role in Home Alone. <sighs> I wasn't old I don't even know if that's that. a joke. Yeah, no, it is, I wasn't old enough for that role. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, I mean, that's an incredible... I, I mean, Macaulay Culkin... Were you alive? Uh, I think he was too little. Yeah, what was it, 1990? Yeah. Wait, but Coop, that's a great like, question. Oh, was there a movie that you were close to getting or didn't get for some reason and it turned out to be a huge hit? Um, well, I mean, I actually did audition and was close to getting Home Alone 3 and then it went to a kid that looked exactly like me. Um, <laughs> Home Alone with 3, I don't hair. Had Macaulay Culkin? No, it wasn't. No, Culkin left after 2. Macaulay Culkin was straight to DVD release. It was not straight to DVD, but I thought it was. I think it came out in theaters, but it was Alex Linz that played the main What was the plot of Home Alone 3? Home Alone 1, he gets left, spoiler alert, in his house in the Chicago area. Home Alone 2, he gets left in like the Trump Hotel. What was Home Alone 3's plot? I don't even think it happened at Christmas time. I watched it it with a girlfriend once. Um, Wait, you saw it? I did actually watch it. Yeah, we were just going through. You know, you used to go through video stores back in the day and went through video stores. We're like, all right, fine. We'll see what the hijinks part of this is. Maybe it'll be entertaining. Plus, the film wasn't good enough, so we were able to get to other things. But, like, I remembered that the actual mischief, the mischief that occurred in that film. I'm just going to let it just ride over me. Let's just hold on You got Home Alone 3. That's like making out during Schindler's List. I, 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 I... I, I don't understand. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, you're a grown man, and you're like, I'm going to make my move during this six-year-old's, like, kidnapping movie. Wait, I have the synopsis here for Home Alone 3. Yeah. When an inept group of criminals try to get a stolen top-secret computer chip through airport security, it ends up in a toy car in the luggage of the elderly Mrs. Hess. Unable to promptly retrieve the chip, the felons follow Hess in the car to her neighborhood, and she gives the toy to a young Alex Pruitt. 
That's what it says. This sounds like what's an awful stunning is premise. that John Hughes wrote it. Like he still wrote that film. Like he wrote the first two, obviously, but he did write number three. It did yeah, not have Macaulay probably Culkin, didn't have Chris Columbus, and didn't have John Williams. $10 million for it. Did it still have the same bad guys? No. No. No, Pesci and Stern had moved on as well. That was the time that Daniel Stern did City Slickers. Another guy I was thinking about in the comedians list was Billy Crystal. So let me ask you this. did a ton of really big movies years back, too. How did they not maintain the same cast and crew after two blockbusters in a row, Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, how is it possible that you make Home Alone 3 with none of the same people in it? Well, Maca- well, I mean, maybe the budget. I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but Macaulay, it was 97, first of all. The first film was 1990, and then I think it was 92 was the second film. Then there was a five-year delay. Macaulay Culkin, in that time, had started hanging out with Bubbles the Monkey and Michael Jackson out at the Neverland Ranch, and he did The Good Son where he played the villain in the movie. So he tried to, like, get away from it. Same thing as Tobey Maguire talking about being typecast as Spider-Man and wanting to get away from it. I have a feeling Culkin wanted to do something else, and I guess maybe when you get a little bit older, five years older isn't the same as eight-year-old Kevin McAllister in the first Home Alone film. So you could potentially look Doesn't to that, Doesn't somebody have suppose. to tell Macaulay Culkin getting typecast is better than not getting cast? No, I like, agree. I, exactly, yes. It's a bad advice. Whatever happened, by the way, to that kid from The Sixth Sense? Um... And he was in Sixth Sense, and he was in some other stuff, too. He was in the... Uh, oh, he was in the Entourage movie. As well. Yeah, he was in the Entourage movie, yeah, too. Yeah, as right. an adult. But yeah, he's, he's kind of fallen apart, too. This, uh, I mean, like, most kids... That's the problem for... It's <laughs> Haley Joel Osment, is who you're talking about. A lot yeah. of these kid actors, once they lose the kid thing, it's revealed that they just don't have much to offer. Or that, they just <laughs> can't get the same role. They end up, they end up being oh, associate oh. producers in Burns, California. You were you were the star of Liar Liar, and you end up like working from three to six a.m. in the Pacific time zone on a on a morning show on the East Coast. But at what point did you realize your career was over? When it was when you were in that starring movie with the what was the what was the movie you were in? Oh, the little straight- horse. The Adventures of Ragtime. No, um, the I Adventures mean, of Ragtime, which had a talking horse, and you did the entire movie and didn't realize the horse was talking. Also, so who would who would see if you didn't see the trailer? Who would watch the Adventures of Ragtime or see the name and not think it was about like music? I know or some was, like period piece from decades ago. That is a horrible title for a film. I'm not sure so, what happened there. What was like that moment when you were like, my career's over as an actor? I well, that I, moment. I, <laughs> no, I I stopped <laughs> wanting to to go to auditions. At uh, what age? Uh, once I started high school, so I guess like 13, 12. So, but 12, was there 13? a moment where you what that something happened where you were like, I'm hanging up the uh, I'm hanging up the proverbial spikes here? Like, what was the moment when you were like, I'm no longer going to be an actor? Uh, it was my mom would would tell me like, you know, we've got an audition after school today, and you know, more and more, I was like, Ugh, like you know, I, I kind of just wanted to hang out with friends or whatever, and eventually she just stopped, uh, you know asking you know the agent stop sending me on them because every now and then i'd be like no nah, i don't really want to go to that, no, that and so but had your voice changed like had you hit puberty like or were you still a kid actor at I, that time? no i was definitely still a kid actor at that time freshman year no it, i was not uh was not there yet so you just <laughs> bailed <laughs> uh yeah pretty much I mean, I, the I, last I, time you acted uh it was right at the start of high school it was a guest appearance in the practice what did you do in the practice? Uh, I played Not a, lot. a dead kid. <laughs> um, oh. What? So it That's... was in it was in flashbacks and like home vi- home videos. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. got it. 
So what so would you, you have gotten just paid? lay on a table? <laughs> what no, would no, you have was... gotten paid for the practice back in the day? Like, what does a guest spot playing a dead kid get you to play in the practice? I have I have zero idea. I couldn't tell you what I made on that. Like, not even a ballpark. Do you no still clue. get residual checks from the movies you were in? Yeah. Like, what do you get? What's the big like? What What do you get for liar liar every year? Is it broken down, or do you just get like? Because I still get residuals from when I I did my only acting role. I played myself in Blue Mountain State, and I still get like a check for like three dollars every year for having done that. And they paid me a couple of thousand dollars to do it at the time. By the way, if anybody wants me to play myself in any show, I'm happy to do it. I'm not going to negotiate aggressively. I think I'm an incredible actor, especially when I play myself. I'm happy to do it. All wow. right, just throwing it out there. But what what residual checks? Because liar liars on television all the time. Uh, it's it's broken down quarterly, so I get four checks a year. That. And like, are they thousand dollar checks? Like, what would? Yeah, like- I mean, it, it depends on how much it was on during that quarter and what channels it was on. Because I get paid a lot more when it's on network TV than, yeah. than cable. But uh, yeah, like if it was a really good quarter and it was on network TV a lot, it'll be in the thousands. What do you that think Jim Carrey still gets? Million dollars. What, what was that? What do you think liar, Jim Carrey still makes? Oh, like I, in I th- residuals. I think about that sometimes. It's it's probably you know, enough to, in just residual checks, to be considered like a, a, a upper middle class person, I, w- oh, I would guess. I would think he, for all the residuals, for what he makes, I bet he makes a million dollars a year in residuals. That'd be Liar, yeah, that's liar, liar did $302 million. Bruce Almighty did $485 million. Oh, that's just two movies. Like, and you consider Cooper's making money. Imagine what Jim Carrey's making. Yeah, there's no doubt. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Jeff Shorts, what's your favorite holiday movie? You're Jewish, but you also get to celebrate Christmas because you married a uh, non, uh, non-Jew. non So the Hanukkah just finished, but now you've got the Christmas tree up and everything else. So you have to have a favorite Christmas uh, Christmas movie now, I would think, as well. Yes, Elf. Elf. Okay, Elf's pretty solid. Yeah. And is this, does Die Hard count as a Christmas movie? We yeah, it's a great... Discussion often, yeah. Yeah, it's a great debate. Um, I think it... I, first of all, Die Hard is a movie that you can't not watch when it's on. Um, but uh, I, I, I would say it's like a borderline Christmas movie. I don't think it can be somebody's favorite Christmas movie. Um, but I think, like, you know, to me, Elf is a solid selection. I think A Christmas Story... I think there are a lot of different movies that you come on during the Christmas season that you can't turn off. Elf is fantastic for that reason. Yes, I, know, I love a, a Christmas Story. My my dad loves a Christmas Story. He loves A Wonderful Life. Um, all those, and I, I just I never got into those. But um, I love Elf. Every time it's on, like you said, I, I put it on. Um, Will Ferrell's great, and it. it's fantastic. What is your kid's favorite television show right now? Uh, Mickey. Easily. Oh, like the is Mickey it? Mouse Playhouse. Yeah, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Even my my little girl likes it. Uh, Mickey the Roaster Racers. My kid loves Toy Story. Any any really any Disney thing. Um, he's all for all about. How much TV do you let your kids watch? So we is let this them a watch debate TV. in the household? Uh, no, we let them watch TV when they're eating. That's about yeah. it. So like breakfast, we put the TV on. Dinner, we put the TV on. And then after my son showers um, or takes a bath at night. Um, we'll put TV on for you know like 20 minutes while he just lays with us and then he goes to bed. So we, we try to keep the TV off, um, especially on the weekends when, we're, when he's home all day. We keep the TV off most of the day. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz, eight-year NFL uh, veteran. We talk with him every single Wednesday. 
Okay, I want to start with you with these ridiculous allegations. You played for the Charlotte uh, Panthers back as part of your career. We were talking about this yesterday, I think it was on the show, what the creepiest allegations are against the Panthers owner, Jerry Richardson, who has decided to sell the team. Which of these four things to you is the creepiest thing that he was alleged to have done? All right, in no particular order. Number one, at the Panthers uh, stadium, he had his owner suite. He would have allegedly private meetings with women on game day. When they arrived, there was nobody else in the owner suite. He would be shoeless, and he would ask for a foot massage. All right, that's number one. Number two, when he would go out to dinner with female employees of the Panthers, he would insist not only on opening the door for the women, but also on buckling their seatbelts. Number three, they had Gene Friday, which, by the way, did you ever participate in Gene Friday? No, I was not part of Gene Friday, no. Because if he asked you to twirl around and commented on you and the jeans, that would be a different level of perversion. Uh, Number four, so he would have the women wear jeans and he would have them twirl around and he would make comments about how tight their jeans were, how in the world did you get into these. And number four, which to me is just a totally freaky move, he asked to shave employees' legs. Which of those to you is the most creepy old man move? Well, okay, so I think the most creepy old man move is the, is the foot massage. However, just the creepy move in general is the shaving the legs. I mean, like that, that's, that doesn't even register on something that, you know, I think a normal person would even What would your wife say? Doing. What would your wife say if you asked to shave her legs? She'd probably roll her eyes at me the same as she does when I ask for other things. There's no chance. Like, I, I thought about this uh, this morning because I, I listened to the show yesterday. I heard you talking about it. Like My wife this morning shaving her legs in the shower. Like I would never even remotely think about, hey, honey, can I hop in there and do your legs for you? Like, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even do that. However, I was know, saying yesterday on the show, like I would be so nervous shaving somebody's legs, I would be afraid that I was going to cut them, right? Like when I shave my face, I'm always like, don't cut yourself, don't cut yourself. The last thing I want is the pressure of shaving my wife's legs and suddenly <laughs> cutting her, right? Like I don't want a razor where I'm responsible for that. And I've never even heard of a guy remotely ask to do that. Like I feel like I'm pretty plugged in to what guys like. No guy I've ever known has ever admitted to being interested in this. Yeah, and I do think that that while we joke about a lot of this stuff, um, there, there has to be more for this to move so quickly. I mean, I, I live in Charlotte. Like you said, I played for the Panthers. And Jerry Richardson loves his football team. Um, and for this to go as quickly as it did, it makes me think that the allegations that were not, were not um, allowed to be shared, which I know SI – um, has them, and they weren't allowed, you know, they kind of weren't allowed to give them away because they would give away who the person was who was telling them this stuff. And what the, the NFL might find investigation is going to be far worse. I don't know what that worst part would be, but it's not going to be just shaving someone's legs. Why do you even consider with con- continue with the investigation at this point? Like, if he's already agreed to sell the team and obviously basically acknowledge that he's done some, I think, probably inappropriate things as an owner – why even concern yourself at this point in time with continuing with the investigation? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fair to to say that, especially with how much money we'll be spending this, and we know how NFL investigations end up going. <laughs> they, they tend to not yes. um, be very complete. Um, you know, would, you know, if, would they investigate a player who is not um, currently on a roster? I mean, they they just suspended Josh Brown this year for six games. 
Um, and he was no chance of playing this season. So. But I think there's the idea that they might come back, right? I mean, right. So he's not coming back. No, he's done. Um, yeah, no, I think it's fair to say that that they probably they, they might not do it, and that's why he did this. But then, do you let him get off the hook by selling? He's going to make a ton, you know a big profit. Um, do you let him you know get off the hook by just selling his team? Um, and, and the sales fascinating. I don't think people realize. So he owns forty eight percent of the team, and in that in the contract with the other owners, he's allowed to make all football decisions. Um, so he's the majority owner in that sense. But if someone were to buy the team. I think they would have to buy everyone else out. The NFL is not going to let a group, like a group, let's say Diddy, because he wants to put together a group, which is not, not going to happen. But let's say he puts together a group of, of four owners, you know, four minority owners, and he, they want to own the team. Well, they they just buy the forty eight percent. Now you have like sixteen owners of the team. They're not going to do that. So you have to buy, you have to basically have one guy come in and buy the six hundred million dollars share of Jerry Richardson, or P Diddy's group, or any group would have to buy everyone else out. And then you have, you know, whatever, three or four owners like the Dodgers do or, or, or other teams like yeah, that. Yeah, somebody so, has to own at least 51% of the team in order typically to be considered the majority owner. Um, but some not guys, here. I, whatever the contract says, it, it, it allows him to be the majority owner with 48% of the shares. Yeah, that's strange. Um, have you heard about anybody locally? You live in Charlotte. Um, is there any kind of scuttlebutt about who might be interested in buying this team, at least in the Charlotte area? Um, well, when it always turns to NASCAR money, uh, the Brutons who own the track up uh, up north, um, and they have they have a ton of money. Um, there's always talk about a NASCAR person coming in. There's not a lot of people who live in Charlotte or in the surrounding areas that have the money to flat out buy it. I mean, you have to write the NFL doesn't do a loan. Um, you have to write a check for them for the team, like cash check for the team, um, and so you have to have billions of dollars. And, and this is. It's interesting to see two things. One, um, just from a business perspective, is is does the team is there a healthy, I guess, um, competition for the team because of the climate of the NFL? Do people research and figure out, oh, maybe it's not going um, up as or as high up as we thought? Do we even put a bid in? What is the bid price? And then is this a play for tech funding? Tech wants to get into football. Does uh, a Zuckerberg or Bezos or somebody buy the Panthers and make it the you know the most tech friendly team or However they want to do it in the NFL. Yeah, it is intriguing to see because these I always equate especially big time prominent franchises like this with with artwork. And we were talking yesterday about that Da Vinci painting that sold for like four hundred and fifty million dollars. For so many billionaires, a professional sports franchise is the equivalent of a piece of art that they hang on the wall. It's not necessarily I said this when Steve Ballmer paid so much for the Clippers. It's not necessarily about the financial return that you're going to get from owning the team because I think the easy money in American pro sports has pretty much been made, certainly in football, because I think we're near the peak of football's value in the country. But it's just about being able to prove, like, I can be a member of this exclusive ownership club. Oh, look how much money I've got. I can afford to do this. All right, let's pivot a little bit to the field. Is there any way that this off-the-field shenanigans surrounding the owner impacts the on-field results for the Carolina Panthers, who are 10-4 and and fighting to try to win the NFC South? No, and I'll tell you why. A couple of things. It really comes down to, to Ron Rivera. He has been fantastic just in general late in the season. If you look at his record in November, December, I think it's almost 70% victories versus the beginning of the year where they often start very slow. Um, so he does a great job of getting his team to peak at the very end of the season. And you know, along those same lines, so does Cam Newton. He, I think he's the best NFL in December since he's been in NFL. He's really good this time of year. 
Uh, but back to Ron Rivera, he's handled the Greg Hardy situation, um, you know, the adversity that they had to deal with that when he was still with the Panthers. He, he handles Cam Noon's antics all the time, right? Um, whether it's him being criticized or, or unfairly criticized or criticized for this and that, or, you know, what he wears, how he plays, all those things. Um, his injury last year, injury in training camp, how they handle that. And then this, they came out Sunday and they forced four turnovers. And, yeah, Aaron Rodgers wasn't 100%, but they played well. And now they beat the Vikings and Packers in back-to-back weeks. So I think this is not a problem for them. Um, Coach Rivera has done a fantastic job anytime adversity has come up, and he deserves credit uh, for making sure his team is always on the right track. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz. Okay, the big discussion from last week's game was obviously Patriots against Steelers. Do you believe that was a catch for Jesse James? Yes. Um, look, it was called correctly by the rule book. I think we agree with that. However, the rule's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, he caught the ball and made a football move. Like he, because if if he would have caught the ball and had his knee down, and someone touched him, they would have ruled him down right there because he had possession of the ball. And then, of course, he lunged in the end zone to get, to get a touchdown, and, and it was ruled not a catch. Um, yeah, I just – the rule has gotten too complicated for no reason. I think we have always understood what a catch was. I saw a video yesterday, I think from a Super Bowl, a Cowboys uh, player, like, dove for a ball, caught the ball and rolled over once and then just dropped it in the end zone. It was a touchdown. Like, you, you, knew, you knew what a touchdown was. And we've gotten to a point now where – you know, when Cassidy goes to play in the, in the Panthers game where it looked like the guy was out of bounds. I mean, he, his his butt must have, might have touched in bounds. One butt cheek, not even the full like, butt, like one cheek. Like, like literally for like a quarter of a second before the rest of his body was out. And I do wonder if some of these slow-mo cameras don't help the game when it comes to this, you know, in this sense. It happens at baseball all the time, too, with their reviews. Like one one-hundredth of a second, uh, is a guy safe, is a guy out? Um, but NFL's got to find a way to make this uh, simpler. They have to do it. it. It ruins the game. We had a great weekend of, of NFL. This might have been the best weekend of NFL football in a long time, and we're talking about the, the Derek Carr play and, and the Jesse James play. Do you agree, too, that the, the fumble through the back of the end zone is unfairly punitive? Like, in terms of yes. uh, the rule change, like if you're stretching to try to score a touchdown – getting the ball knocked out and having it roll out like happened to uh, to Derek Carr certainly at the end of the game against, uh, I, I think it was the uh, Cowboys, right? I mean, it's just an unfair punishment for what should be a relatively not that significant decision to fumble, right? I mean, in the grand well, scheme it, of things. Yes, it, it, it is because the defense gets the ball at the 20. I yeah. would be okay if they just put the ball at the spot he fumbled and gave it to the defense. So if it's at the one defense, you know, the offense, you know, the, the Raiders lose the ball, Dallas gets the ball at the one. Because if I'm fourth down, if you're in the field, fourth down, you can't fumble the ball forward. Right. Um, so I, the, the, the end zone has always had significance over the rest of the field because obviously the scoring area, right? You, in, in, in the middle of the field, if you dive for a first down and you stick the ball over and the ball gets knocked away, it's a fumble. And, you know, for the end zone, a touchdown. So there's different rules for that part of the field. So I'm okay with the idea that a fumble is still a bad thing. You don't want to fumble, uh, but you can't you can't give the ball to the defense at the 20 yard line. I mean, that just takes away. Um, it, it's too it's too punitive to the offense. So I put the ball right at the spot with the half yard line, the one, the two, wherever that is, and give the ball to the other team. And then you can you know defensively you, you can get a safety. You can get you know force a three and out and get the ball back uh, in your territory. So. I uh, I like that better than what they do now. Who wins the NFC South? You're in Charlotte. Charlotte, Atlanta, and New Orleans are all dueling coming down the stretch. Obviously a big game with the Falcons going on the road against the Saints. Who do you think at the end of the regular season is the number one overall seed? 
from that conference? I've loved the Saints all year. Um, I picked them to make the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. They haven't really played very well, so they haven't maybe looked too good. They you know, struggle with the Jets. Uh, lost the Falcons two Thursdays ago. But I like the Saints this weekend at home against the Falcons. That, that puts the Falcons out of the NFC. Uh, no, it does not, actually. It will when the Panthers beat the Bucks, right? The Panthers will beat the Bucks, then uh, the Saints will beat the Falcons. The Falcons will be out of the NFC um, uh, South uh, picture. And then it, becomes, it comes down to can the Saints beat the Bucks in Week 17? I think they can. So I'm still going with the Saints. All right. Uh, is it fair to consider the Jags to be a legitimate threat to win the AFC? There's been a lot of attention on the Patriots and the Steelers, who I think most people would acknowledge are the two best teams. But the Jags did go on the road and beat the Steelers. They're 10-4. and four. They're playing against Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers this weekend on the road in San Francisco. Uh, and the Jags have looked very good. Are they a legitimate threat potentially in the, a- in the AFC? Yes. Um it's it's hard to think of Blake Bortles as a, as a legitimate threat, but I think it's everything around Blake Bortles. You know the thing that, that messes with Tom Brady is is rushing the passer. And what, what what the Jaguars do, they're built like the Giants. They rush the passer really, really well. Um, they make enough plays on offense. They run the football. They control the tempo. I mean, they, they broke the Seattle Seahawks. They broke them. I mean, if you saw the way they played Sunday against the Rams, Seattle was broke. Um, and the fight at the end of that game, they broke Seattle. Um, and... That's what Jacksonville can do. So you look at them in the playoffs; they'll be probably the three seed. Um, you know, they'll play what the, they could play the Titans, I guess, or the Ravens. They could play someone in the wild card round. Um, they should beat them. They'll have a home game, and they have to go to Pittsburgh most likely, where they've already beaten them. I think Pittsburgh is probably a tougher out for them than New England is because um, Big Ben can move. He's mobile. He's not going to throw five interceptions again. Um, but if they get by that game, they can beat New England. Um, you know, it, it comes down to do you trust Blake Bortles to not screw it up? And, and that's the you know, that's the question. He's played really well the last three weeks. But is this the new Blake Bortles or just kind of a product of everything else going going right around him? Is Jimmy Garoppolo for real? Yes. The Niners completely stole him. I know everyone's like, well, they have to pay him. Sure, they have to pay him. They have $100 million in cap room. They're going to they're gonna sprint down there and write him a check as soon as the season's over. He's the real deal. 5-0 and now as a starter, 2 with New England, 3 with the Niners. That team couldn't win a football game. They couldn't win a football game, and now they're going to be up to 10th pick overall if they keep this track up. We'll see this weekend, though. They play Jacksonville. It's probably not going to go very well. Everyone will, will jump off the train. But to get a second round, to, to trade a second-round draft pick for quarterback um, is a steal for the Niners. Will Dallas make this, the playoffs? They have, they have a terrible tiebreak situation, right? So, yeah, they're they're in rough shape. I mean, I think they're going to get to ten and six because I think they'll I beat think the they'll Seahawks do. this weekend. They get Ezekiel Elliott back, and then I think they're probably not going to play the Eagles at full strength because I think the Eagles will lock up overall number one seed um, with a win over the Raiders this weekend. So I think the Cowboys have a good chance to get to ten and six. I think so too, but the Lions should be ten and six too. They end with the Bengals. And, uh, and the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, so yep. um, I think the Lions get the ten to six. I mean, I think you, you know, I think you're realistically going to look at probably the Falcons, Lions, and Cowboys all at ten and six, um, and the Panthers or Saints. One of those two teams will win the win the South and, and have the, the, the other wild card spot. So I think if those if that situation plays out, um, the tiebreaker goes to I don't even know. I know Atlanta beat Detroit, but Detroit has a tiebreaker against Dallas. Um, so Dallas is really the last team. Out in that situation, so our first team out, I should say. So, I think they win. You know, I think they win the next two games, but um, they don't get in. One more thing too about Dallas, I think people need to kind of like pump the brakes on Zeke this week because if you think after six weeks he's going to come back and everything's going to be okay, um, 
it's not. I mean, it's going to take a little bit of time, uh, but luckily the Seahawks aren't very good. So I think they'll be able to kind of work back into this game and, and figure out how to get back on the group of things. Are the Chiefs back, or are they just a mediocre team? <laughs> They're – Oh, man. Um, look, Andy Reid is really good in division. Um, so he obviously took care of, those, of those, both those games. I mean, that formula they have, it's the formula they, they use for the first five weeks. They rush the passer, stop the run. Alex Smith um, is excellent on deep balls this year. He leads the NFL in, in most yards, I think, or most – something with over 20 yards. Like the ball's over 20 yards. He leads the league in NFL in, in yards. Um, they ran the ball well. I mean, they did everything they have to do. If this version of the Chiefs plays out the rest of the year, they could definitely win the AFC – um, the question is, is, will that be the case? This week they play Miami. This feels like a game where they're going to go back to scoring 12 points and, and grind this one out. Um, then they play Denver to end the season. They should be Denver. So I like to believe in the Chiefs. You know, I'm a Chiefs fan. My brother plays for the Chiefs. Um, it makes the AFC more interesting if the Chiefs are good. Um, but they haven't won. You know, they haven't, they haven't really had a lot of success um, winning home playoff games either. So um, I hope they get a chance to get another home game and, and get a victory. Good stuff, as always. Jeff Schwartz will be guest hosting next week with uh, Jason Martin. We'll hear a lot more of you next week. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, take care. Have a good holiday. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.